Hey guys, TJ here. This episode is going to be great if the words prayer life mean anything to you. If you're on that journey of growing in your prayer life, making it less uh, realistic, more realistic, less ritualistic, less religious, and more authentic, this episode is going to be of tremendous value for you because I'm just sharing my personal journey through the three stages, I call it, the three stages of prayer life. And really, it's about our spiritual maturity and the the ways in which God works in our heart to change the ways we're connecting with Him personally. Um, I also very quickly just wanted to qualify something. In this episode, I say, I don't believe God hears all our prayers. And what I mean by that is, of course, there's nothing He doesn't know. Psalms 139, 1 through 4 says that. However, whether He turns to our prayer with intent to answer our request, that's really what I'm talking about when I say I don't believe God hears every prayer. I don't have time to go into all of that. I just wanted to give you the context for it because I didn't mention it in the episode. And afterwards, I thought to myself, you know what? I got to just really be clear when I say that so somebody doesn't stumble. Uh, Receive the heart of what I'm suggesting. And as always, take it to scripture for yourself because I'm just a guy sharing. and, uh, And I don't want you to be sent in the wrong direction, of course. So... That's the only thing I wanted to qualify. Stay till the end because I want you guys to hear about God's will. It will help you uh, begin to trust him more or grow in trusting God more to pray differently, pray more powerfully, I believe. And I'm also sharing a personal testimony about money. So if you need that, receive that in faith. And, uh, and that's it. I just hope that you guys get a ton of value. Please go ahead and share this with somebody who you think about. And um, if you're listening on the podcast, please leave a rating or review. Thanks so much for being here, guys. I appreciate you. We're going to be talking about prayer tonight. I'm going to be sharing from my own personal journey, my own personal prayer journey. And um, before we begin, I just want to quickly um, mention why this is this is even relevant, why we're talking about prayer tonight. If you're joining, um, we'd love to to just know you're here, say hi in the chat. And um, if anything's resonating with you, please feel free to share. Um, go ahead and also share this with somebody else that you know would, would also like to be uh, would like to be here, would like to be learning about how to grow in their own personal journey, prayer life, uh, moving from really what's for a lot of people religious and ritualistic to something that's real out of a personal relationship. Now, the reason we're talking about prayer tonight and the reason I wanted to bring this up was because um, yesterday, somebody asked me what I thought about what's happening overseas. And obviously there's the conflict uh, between Russia, Ukraine and uh, Russia and Ukraine, and, and there's a whole lot more happening. Um, but I said there were really two things, two, two conversations happening. My response was there's two conversations happening. The first conversation is really about um, how do we best support people that are in need? And those people that are in need, by the way, it's not just people who are under under attack, right? Uh, it's it's people in positions of leadership. Uh, it's people who are not in direct conflict, um, but who are trying to understand how to support their loved ones or people that they know that are in conflict. And so I said, that's that's the first question. That's the first part of the conversation. Is you know my response. There's there's two things going on, and the first thing that's going on, the first conversation is, hey, how do we best support people in need? I'm going to get to that in a second. But the second thing that came up for me is is the question of, well, how did we get to this point with the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict? How did we even get here? What's the real story? 
and uh, and what happens next. And that's when speculation can set in, and um, and that's when people can honestly get lost in the swirl. So uh, I'll address the second one first because it'll be very quick and very to the point. Um, when it comes to how we got here, what's the real story? And there's all kinds of beliefs about how we got here. What the enemy, I'm sorry, what God has shown me is the enemy has, in the past couple of years especially, he's created the idol of information. The idol of information. Meaning we are idolizing information. Like the latest information is what we put our faith in. That's the definition of idolizing. What you put your faith in, the latest information. Okay. Well, one person told me this, another person told me that, another thing told me this, this news media source told me that, this news media source fact checked that, and all of these things can become seeds for fear and division. And so the Lord's shown me, hey, we don't need more information, we need more wisdom. So my prayer in this second conversation, remember there's two conversations that I see really happening out of this whole Russia-Ukraine conflict, and the first being how do we best support those in need, and the second being uh, what's the real story? And my response to that is, don't fall to the temptation of the idol of information. Okay, pray for wisdom, not more information, because you don't need to have information to have wisdom. If you need to understand more about that, read about Solomon and how he made a decision with two women who both claimed that the child was their own. He didn't have DNA, uh, you know, resources. He didn't have genetic testing. He didn't have the, the best scientists around. He had wisdom. And that's what he asked God for. He asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom and, and God showed him very clearly how to navigate that situation. And we need people with more wisdom, uh, not more information. Because, uh, because honestly, at the speed of which information is coming, people are making decisions based on information but their motivation is fear, and that is not really helping any anybody in any situation. So we want really to people. We want people to have wisdom. We want people in positions of leadership to have wisdom. People in harm's way to have wisdom. We want ourselves to have wisdom. How to navigate uh, potentially difficult decisions uh, with control over our mind. We're going to be talking about that today, especially as we're talking about my journey through prayer life. Um, if, if any of this is resonating with you guys, first of all, I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining. Say hi in the chat. Let me know you're here. Um, also, let me know that I'm not talking to uh, a mic that's on mute because I've done that in the past and I don't want to do that today and get about an hour in and have things um, have thing, have people be at, telling me that they can't they can't hear. Um, so, you know, as as we kind of navigate, okay, there's that second question of what's the real story, what's happened. And what happens next? We want to be praying for wisdom, okay? And and then point number one, or conversation number one, around how do we best support people in need? And those are people in, in all kinds of uh, those are people in all kinds of of different situations of need. Some people are in in positions where they're literally like hunkered down, and we have contacts who are, you know, hunkered down, and they're in uh, you know real like either it's financial need or or um, you know, food resource need or um, courage and confidence need or uh, peace, you know, they're in need of peace. And then, then obviously there's plenty of people that we don't know that are in need of peace that are actually not in a conflict zone. Um, and there's plenty of people that, that, uh, that are in high level decision-making situations 
and they need to be able to navigate those those situations with wisdom. And so, um, the thing that I think we can do for anybody, no matter where they are, no matter what's what kind of situation they're in, the best thing we can do is pray. And I want to start off today because we're talking about the prayer journey. I want to start off today by talking about um, a real story of prayer that works. And I say a real story of prayer that works because I actually believe I, I can't say that um, I can't say that all prayer works. I actually don't believe all prayer is going to be heard. And um, there's a variety of reasons why we could talk about that, even biblically. Um, and biblically, honestly, is the is the foundation for that belief. But yeah, I can't say that all prayer is going to be heard, but I think um, it's important for me to say that prayer works. Prayer works, and I'm here to tell you today about my journey in my prayer life, and I want to start off by talking about the four miracles of Dunkirk. And so what is what are the four miracles of Dunkirk? I heard this the other day. I think it's really important for me to share. I'm, I'm reading from what's called guidepost.org. I've never heard of it before, but they just had this story published and there's a number of different places where this is published, but this is back from 2017. And um, they're talking about uh, World War II happening. And so during the darkest hours of World War II, I'm reading from guidepost.org. From the darkest hours of World War II, King George VI called for a national day of prayer and churches across Great Britain were filled with people. See how those prayers were answered. Long story short is you guys might've seen the movie Dunkirk. I've seen that movie myself. And it's about this whole, um, situation that unfolded over about 10 days in uh, 1940 off the shores of France. Okay, so this the situation was this. Winston Churchill was the new British prime minister, and uh, there was a phone call that happened on May 15th where uh, the French premier said, we've been defeated, we're beaten. And Churchill was aware Nazis were advancing, um, but he was surprised. He said, wait, it can't have happened so soon. And uh, the French premier said, hey, the front's broken. Nazis are pouring through in great numbers. And honestly, they had, I guess, miscalculated the paths that the Nazis were going to take. Uh, Germans had swept the south through, I guess, an area that was pre previously or supposedly impenetrable. And um, so they hadn't bothered to really defend it. And now British and French troops found themselves surrounded. And their only possible escape was across the English Channel which by the way, I've actually been on the English Channel. A friend of mine swam the English Channel, which if you've never heard or, or, or looked anything up about swimming the English Channel, it is wild. And that is not a uh, that is not for the faint of heart. Uh, my friend of mine who actually swam the English Channel, um, we were out there as myself, his dad, his wife, uh, me, and, um, and it, it was rough. And you have to actually go through the English Channel uh, at the right time so that you don't get set back hours. I mean, this is a several hour, this is a whole day swim. Okay. It's a whole day swim and, um, very few people can do it. I mean, world-class swimmers can't like, will tap out because if you, if you get into the channel at the wrong time, if the, if the person navigating gets into the channel at the wrong time, you can end up going way off track. It can take you, I mean, what should have taken you, let's call it 10 hours can take you 20 uh, because of the way the tides work and all these things. So um, all that's to say, uh, they had to escape through the English Channel, and who knows how long they could be stuck out in the English Channel, right? If you plan for a seven-hour boat ride, uh, you know, you could end up taking a 30-hour boat ride, and now you are susceptible to being, uh, being attacked during that time, right? So Dunkirk was a city in northeast France, and 
um, I guess a mass evacuation was needed to happen for these thousands and thousands of soldiers uh, to, to be out of harm's way. So uh, Churchill resisted that escape plan because he was like, this seems like a suicide mission. And um, he thought, well, we'd be lucky to get 20,000 men home on the English Channel, let alone more than 300,000 Allied troops. Uh, but they didn't really have an option. So on the 23rd of May, Churchill met with the uh, British monarch, King George VI, to brief him. And his response was, we must pray. And the next Sunday, he called for a national day of prayer. And um, Churchill was, I guess, notoriously, uh, maybe that's the wrong word, famously non-religious. And um, I guess I'm I'm non-religious too. So <laughs> notoriously would be the wrong word there. Um, but Churchill was non-religious, religious. And so he was like, not really down with the whole prayer thing, I'm I'm sure. But he, you know, is the king. So what's he gonna say? And so uh, King George the Sixth addressed the nation and said, Let us with one heart and soul, humbly but confidently commit our case to God and ask his aid that we may valiantly defend the right as is given to us to see it. And um, and so they called for prayer. They didn't know exactly why they were praying, I'm sure, but they prayed. And um, one English news newspaper described it as nothing like this has ever happened before. And the following day, uh, I guess the German high command reported that the British army is encircled and their troops are proceeding to its annihilation. And it appeared the war was over. So this is a huge turning point. Okay, But the soldiers, the allies, were instructed to get back to Dunkirk. And most British soldiers had probably never heard of Dunkirk. So as they were trying to navigate this, I'm sure this was probably like, how do we, how do we even begin here? So, uh, you know, as they're abandoning, you know, all of their tanks and equipment and, and everything, um, all these people are trying to navigate now. You remember like 300,000 troops trying to navigate. How do we get back to Dunkirk? And it was, it was, all that seemed lost at the time, but something happened that historians, uh, even over 80 years later now, can't explain. The German tanks were just 10 miles from Dunkirk, and I guess Hitler did the unthinkable. On May 24th, King George VI called for, a, for his nation to pray, right? And Hitler inexplicably halted the offensive. For nearly three days, as England decided to pray, those tanks remained grounded. Nothing moved. And it was the exact window of time that the British needed to form a defensive perimeter to temporarily fight back the Germans and establish a funnel for their troops to flow through the English Channel. Then came something else, rain and clouds. German planes bombed Dunkirk on three separate days, but each time for days afterwards, the city was enveloped by inclement weather, making an effective, uh, making any effective follow-up from the Nazis very difficult. And then a breeze collected smoke emitted from the bombs and distributed it over the area in which the British were using to load men into the boats. And, and if you've seen the movie Dunkirk, you'll know that what the British decided to do is actually say, hey, anybody who has a boat, anybody who's willing and has a boat, we need to get your boat across the English Channel. We're talking little like, uh, what do you call it? I, could, I don't know if it's a Duffy boat, but those kinds of boats, like little tiny boats, as small as that, unarmed boats, 
get across the English Channel, go to the other side, pick up the soldiers, and then come back. And <laughs> so you had basically a bunch of volunteers signing up to go on what many people believed, I'm sure, was a suicide mission. And it was during that time that the weather changed, that the troop advancement stopped, and that there was enough opportunity for uh, the Allied forces to set a perimeter to get troops funneled to the volunteers who were coming across the English Channel from the UK to the French border to be able to pick them up and bring them back safely. So this is this is absolutely insane. And you know, I'll I'll stop there because I could go on for I could go on for a lot longer about how incredible that story alone is. But you know, the real point is the power of prayer, right? It's the power of prayer. I mean, the title of this is The Four Miracles at Dunkirk, or The Four Miracles of Dunkirk, right? And what you saw happen or what you just heard happen is that there was a moment of prayer, there was a moment of need, a response in prayer, and an opportunity that aligned with the prayer. And by the way, the prayer was not nationally known, I'm sure, to uh, to, to everybody who was praying. So it's not even that people had this full insight into what they were praying for, yet then these miracles occur. Then these miracles occur. So I think sometimes we can get caught up in that I need to know exactly what to pray. And, and sometimes we can get caught up in the, in the details. But what I take away, what I take away from that story and personally, is that sometimes I don't know what to pray. I just know I need to pray. And God hears our prayers. And, uh, and, and when I say this earlier, I had mentioned, I actually don't believe all prayers are heard. Uh, I could go on to, that's probably a whole nother five hours. Um, and I could share personal experiences. But, but understanding in this testimony powerful testimony where, where hundreds of thousands of lives were saved in what seemed like a moment of just complete despair, how God showed up and how it was through prayer, how it was through prayer, right? That alone should give us some understanding of the importance and the power of prayer in our own lives. And, and we don't need to wait until we're in a moment of despair. Yet, even when we do, I'm sure some of those people have never prayed or prayed like that in their life, right? And I was talking with somebody the other day, and we were talking about the idea of some blessed is, is the poor in spirit. I believe those people who were praying at that time knew their own uh, lack of of, of richness or ability to do something for themselves. In other words, they were poor in spirit because everything seemed like it was just total despair. And so they were able to come to God with open hands saying, God, I need you here. God, I need you here. And, and that's where I want to kind of talk about the journey. Um, I'll use that as kind of a transition point to talk about the journey in which, and I made this up, this is something that is just relevant for me, but I think it will really help people as they're thinking about their own prayer journey. And I call it the three 
stages of prayer, the three stages of prayer. And this is really the three stages of maturity in your prayer life. And the third stage is that stage where you come to God poor in spirit, not rich in spirit where you say, I have everything I need, God. And, uh, and so I'm just coming to you as like a ritual thing. It's poor in spirit saying, God, I literally have nothing without you. That's the third stage. That's what I believe is the highest level of maturity. And that's where somebody's prayer life is, is reflective of them living their life open-handedly. Okay, so what's the first and the second stage? And the first stage, this is where I started on my journey. If you're watching, you can see I've got my hands showing you. You can even do this for your committing to memory. I think it's very helpful to commit this kind of stuff to memory. But I've got my, I've got my hand showing. My hand is showing a, a closed fist right now. This is the first stage of the prayer journey, I believe. And this is how people pray when they're ritualistic, uh, religious, and uh, not trusting. And I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. I'm not projecting. I'm speaking from my own personal experience. These are the things that I was when I had this stage level of maturity in my prayer life. I was closed-fisted. I was coming to God with the things that I believe that I wouldn't be able to live without, okay? And and so I was holding on to all these things, but I was still coming to God going, God, I, I want you to hear my prayers, but really what I want you to do is not take away anything that I have. And I remember doing this. This is stage one level prayer maturity, prayer life journey. I remember doing this, okay? It's closed fisted. I remember doing this when I was a kid. I remember my prayers to God were something like, God, keep my family and I healthy, safe, and happy. Uh, and I felt a tug on my heart. Like, there's got to be more to this prayer. But I didn't want to vocalize anything more because I didn't want to actually hear whatever God might have to say because if it in any way would conflict with what I thought I needed for my life to be happy, uh, I didn't want any part of it. It was showing what? That I was not trusting. I was not trusting at all. In other words, I thought I knew my way. I thought I knew the best way for my life. And so that's how I would pray. Lord, I know the best way for my life, so I'm just going to come to you and pray because it's the thing I think I should do. But guess what? I'm not really willing to change. I was closed-fisted. That was the first stage of the journey. Then the second stage, okay, I call it uh, I call it half-clenched. And you'll see if if you got the video on. I've got two fingers uh, open and two fingers closed. It's a very awkward position, um, but it's like. My fist is no longer completely clenched, but it's also not open-handed. It's the in-between, okay? And I call it the half-clenched. So stage one is the closed-fisted. Stage two is the half-clenched. And this is where I was willing to kind of open up, but I wasn't willing to let go. So in the first stage, I wasn't really willing to open up at all. In the second stage, I was willing to open up a little bit because I realized that whatever I was doing wasn't working. And I knew it wasn't working because I just didn't have peace. I didn't know what that meant, 
but I knew something was off despite on the outside of my life having success and accomplishment. And so I was saying to myself, hmm, well, maybe God has something different. And that's, that's stage two where I was saying, I'm open. I'm open, God, but I'm still not fully trusting. And, and the example that I give here is, um, you know, if I were in person, I'd take this pen here and I would put it out to somebody who's listening. And I would say, here, I'm willing to offer you this pen. And they would reach out for it. Their hand would grab it. And I would say, why don't you go ahead and take it? And they would try and pull it away from me, but I'm still holding on to it. So in my words, I was saying, God, I'm open. But in my heart, I wasn't willing to let go. That was the second stage of my prayer journey. In other words, I showed what I was holding on to. And I offered it in my words, but I was not willing to let him take whatever I had. Because I didn't have the revelation that he gave me whatever I had. I wasn't willing to let him take what I had because I didn't have the revelation understanding that, wait a second, PJ, where do you think you got that pen in the first place? Where do you think you got your life in the first place? I didn't have that understanding. So I was in this second stage, the half, half clinched, when I was still stuck in my pride of I know how to live my own life. I was educated and you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you get the job, you do this thing, you make some money and blah, 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 blah. And I know my way. And, and what I didn't know was that my soul was dying. My soul, my mind, will, emotions. I was dying inside. I didn't have words for it. I didn't know how to articulate it. I was tormented by things that I didn't really have uh, any understanding as to how those things even came into my life or why I was tormented by them. I didn't even understand the word torment. Um, the word is demonized. I was demonized for sure. Like I had demonic forces uh, in my life that were keeping me in bondage, stuck in cycles and patterns. And, um, and I had to be free from it. And there was no, there was no person that was going to be able to do that. It was only Jesus himself, the, the name above all names, it was Jesus himself who was able to set me free, who was able to bring freedom internally, okay? And I wasn't able to even accept or receive anything like that. I didn't have words for it. I didn't understand it, but I wasn't even able to accept or receive the idea that there was something inside wrong with me. And I say wrong, maybe just not right, <laughs> something that was unhealthy. Let's leave it at that. I wasn't even able to, to be able to see that because I was still living this half clenched life, stage two prayer life maturity, right? And it wasn't until I realized fully, I said, God, whatever I've been doing in my life, just whatever has happened, it's not right. I don't have words for it. I don't have... Uh, I can't even point my finger to somebody to blame, even though I wanted to, because that's the victim mentality in us that wants to be satisfied. 
and it will never be satisfied. So people will continue trying to blame people, but it's not, you can't blame any one person. Satan's to blame because he's, he is um, here on the kingdom of darkness, ruling over the kingdom of darkness, which has authority. He has authority on earth to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. So I can blame Satan, but, but at the end of the day, I was like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I, what about this reality? I have people like, is it my mom? Is it my dad? Is it my, my friends? Is it my upbringing? Is it my job? Is it my, you know, relationships? Is it my health? Is it my, this, is it my, that I didn't have any understanding. So I just said, God, I don't know what any of this is, but I'm terribly unhappy. I'm not at peace. And I believe you want to show me something. So that's stage three, living open-handedly in your prayer life specifically. That's where I said, God, I have a hundred percent certainty that whatever is happening out here in this world around me and for me is not working. So the 1% chance that you, whatever you offer me will work, I'll take it, please. And I was that desperate. I was in that much of a place of um, pain internally, internal suffering, internal conflict, a number of other things, tormented, that I just said, okay, God, like whatever it is that you have for me, I'm open to that prayer. And so when I talk about these different stages, stage one, being closed-fisted, stage two, being half-clenched, and stage three, being open-handed, I'm literally talking about that time, and for me, what this used to look like, where I was on my knees before bed, praying. And during that time, I'm talking about the inner place, right? I'm talking about the place inside your mind. I'm talking about the place inside your heart and where you're at. Are you, are you closed-fisted? Are you half-clenched? Or are you open-handed when you're approaching God in prayer? And for me, it took me years to come to the point where I could be open-handed in many ways because I was ashamed of things I'd said or done that I'd never brought to him before, right? Because when you're living close-fisted, you're not, you're not, sorry, when you're living close-fisted, my hand was open for a second. It's closed now. When you're living close-fisted, you're not willing to show him what's inside, right? So you can kind of pretend to him and everyone else in your life, even yourself, that things are okay and that there's nothing wrong and that, you know, maybe you're making good money and maybe you can buy things and live where you want and be around the people you want and travel and all those things. But maybe you're just not where you want to be in life. And where you want to be isn't a physical place. It's not a position. It is an attitude and a disposition. I believe it's something in your, in your heart, in your mind, a state of peace, contentment, uh, while still fulfilling that uh, potential that you have and what's possible. And for me, what I've seen in working with people, you know, for years now, but more importantly, going through my own journey, I think that's, that's the most important part, right? Is when you actually navigate this yourself and the kind of um, experiences you learn through that process. I have learned and noticed, observed all different words for the same thing for me, that it's when we are unwilling to observe our own depravities or in the ways in which we are not right with God. Think about this. It's when we're not willing to 
to approach him and saying, God, search my heart for any way in which I'm not right with you. Show me, show me what I need to see. Okay. If we're not willing to even start there, you can tell where you're at on your prayer journey. If I, I'll tell you, it's not stage three, open-handed. Okay. For me, um, I think one of the best ways to navigate from stage one, close fisted to stage three, open-handed is to start with confession and to start with asking the Lord to help you, to help you navigate through whatever it is that maybe you have pride in, whatever it is that just you're not um, you know, aware of, whatever it is that is not working, whatever it is that you've been holding on to too tightly, uh, because you'll know, and he'll show you this, but you'll know the things in your life that uh, that you're, you're trying to control, you'll know you're trying to control them too much when they start to control you. Okay. So when you have things in your life, you're trying to control, you know, you'll know that you're trying to control them too much when they start to control you. That's when it becomes an idol. Back to what I was talking about earlier around the idol of information and how we, that's what we put our faith in. Okay. It's the idea that when I am trying to put my faith in the next job and I'm, I'm trying to put my faith in the next news headline from who knows who, who has a position of, of authority, but maybe not, um, you know, full wisdom and understanding about what's going to happen in the state of the world. You know, that, that I'm now putting my faith in them, not God. Right. And it's really important for us to uh, respect authority here in this world. And it's also important for us to acknowledge who is our alpha and omega who is our first who is our last and who has the the first and final say in our lives and and for me i made a decision in my life i made a de conscious decision and and it didn't happen all at once okay it happened over time i think people need to recognize that that's possible but i made a conscious decision over time just like you can make a decision over time about where you want to move, who you're going to marry, all of these things, right? I made a decision over time about whether I believe Jesus is who he says he is or not. And if he is who he says he is, who he said he was and is because he's still living, then I wanted him to be Lord of my life because I didn't want to go against God. And so for me, that was a big turning point in the journey because in order to make that decision, you have to develop something called trust. You have to develop trust. And I want you to think about this for a second in your own life. Like, would you be willing to confess? Would you be willing to confess maybe some deeper, darker, uh, or even just things that you're just not proud of, okay? Don't even make it heavy. Just things you're not proud of. Would you be willing to confess that with people you don't trust? Probably not. Probably not. I think what's interesting is that, you know, I think trust is is uh, is something that's earned. Forgiveness, God gives for free. But I believe trust is earned. And I believe God earns our trust. He doesn't have to, but he does. And for me, over time, Jesus revealed himself to me, not in a religious way, through relationship, 
And through a lot of these things that I'm talking about in the three straight stages of the prayer journey, as I went through, you know, my own process, he was never there condemning me. In fact, he was there guiding me. As I look back in my life, I see the faithfulness of Jesus through people that he sent to me who led me, guided me, were patient with me, and were not condemning. And I saw, wow, God, you are so, you are so gracious and merciful. And there were so many reasons why you could have just absolutely turned your back on me, but you didn't. And because he didn't, I was able to, at my own pace and in my own way, make a decision to follow him because I trusted him. I trusted Jesus. I trust Jesus. And as a result, I was able to go from living with a close fist to living much more open-handedly. And what that started to look like in my prayer life, because earlier I was talking about what a stage one prayer for me in, in spiritual maturity looked like. It was like, God, I'm not willing to even show you what's going on inside of me, let alone, you know, give it to you. Uh, I know the plans of my life. So just give me those plans and I'm good. And we can get this prayer thing over with. <laughs> Stage three, living open-handedly is, Lord, I have nothing without you. And notice I say, Lord, I have nothing without you. I didn't used to call him Lord. And there's a, there's a real change. And I didn't grow up in Christian culture. I didn't grow up with all the junk that comes with Christian culture. And I'm not ragging on, on, uh, on the actual principles of God and his design for culture. I'm, I'm suggesting that there's a lot of things that are twisted in Christian culture where people are now just straight up disingenuous because they don't even know what they're saying. I made a conscious choice. I don't, I'm, I'm not, um, saying this word Lord lightly, I made a conscious choice to start calling him Lord because he became Lord of my life. And, and so that process of him becoming Lord of my life looked like me having to start to trust him in my life, trust him in a lot of different areas of my life. If you haven't heard um, on the podcast, there's plenty of episodes of me sharing either challenges or, um, maybe some of the journey overcoming some of those challenges and areas of my life where I had to trust him and how he's shown up, how he's shown up supernaturally and just in a real practical way, how he's shown up in the simple, small things. But for me, open-handedly, it was like, Lord, you have given me everything I have, including the life I have today. You've given it to me. Thank you, Jesus, that I have an opportunity. Thank you that I get the free will to worship you because you're such a good God. I get the, the opportunity to worship you. You didn't make me worship you. You gave me the choice. The creator gave me the choice, the creation. The creator gave the creation the choice to actually believe in the creator. That's crazy, right? That's a crazy concept. He gave me the choice to worship him, the free will opportunity to worship him. I say, God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you. All I have is yours. Now, the the kind of twisted way of thinking about this open-handed prayer life is I throw it all away. Like there's this cultural Christian thing where it's like, oh, whatever I have, I throw away because I'm not uh, of value or worthy enough to, to hold on to anything that I've been given. And that's um, unwise to me because I believe we're all given different things. And I believe God 
asks us to steward those things or to do certain things with what we've been given. And for some people, it means to give it away. And for other people, it means to hold on and grow it and look for places that God might be leading you to with those things that you are growing. If you haven't listened to the podcast episode with my friend Milo, you need to listen to that because uh, he talks about how God convicted him of greed. And it's a very powerful testimony about how he really, um, I think, in many ways has gone from that journey in, the, in, in what I described in my prayer life of where he's gone from maybe looking at his life saying, okay, these are the things I need and this is what I can do to this is what God has for me and for other people. And, um, and I think it'll help you. I think it'll help you, especially if you're thinking about everything I'm talking through in the context of money. It'll be very helpful. Um, in, terms of, in terms of just how all of this like works together, though, okay, moving from stage one to stage two to stage three in spiritual maturity in your prayer life journey. Now, mind you, I'm just describing my personal journey. I'm not, I'm not giving you something to say this is the hard, fast, true way. This is the only way. That's not what I'm here to say. I'm saying this is the way that I've been, and Jesus is the only way, and he brought me this way. So it's just where I'm at. Um, but if you want to go from closed fist to open-handed, I believe you, you really have to start by saying, God, I, I want you in my life, and I want you to be Lord of my life. And Jesus, if you're real, if you're a real God, if you're a living God, I want, I want to turn away from the things that I've done that are not uh, either— either aligned in thinking, speaking, or behaving. I want to turn away. It's called repenting. I want to repent of the sin in my life. I want to repent. I want to turn to you, turn back to God. I believe he's really uh, strongly telling somebody right now, turn back to him. He's a good God. He's a good God. That's the only way that you really develop and grow in this journey is if you get to know him. You don't have to take my word for it, okay? There's a whole thing called the word, and, and it's Jesus, but it's the Bible, which is all about Jesus. The word is Jesus and also known as Yeshua. And this is the Bible. And you can, you don't have to take my word for if God's good or not. Okay. You know, I could give you all kinds of ways to think through that, but you can read for yourself and say, God, if you're good, show me. If you're good, I want to know because I struggle with trusting you, and therefore I've taken things in control of my life that maybe are starting to control me. And I'm in stage one, prayer life, spiritual maturity, where I'm still holding on to things, trying to be the sole, uh, sole sailor, sole operator of my life, the the sole person who's in charge of my life. And you know what I call this is, you know, you're living in the motorboat, and everything's fine and dandy until the gas runs out. But this is the message that is that is given to people, uh, the, the message that you're in charge of your ship and you're in full control of your life. And the reality is you're not in full control of your life. You're in partial control of your life. Okay. So people who are, who are living in the motorboat, right? You got to figure out for yourself that, um, the gas will run out. And when it does, you might be stuck in a place where you're like, how the heck did I get here? And I've been there. And it's a hard place to be, but the beautiful thing is that's um, a setup for what I call your awakening, your awakening. And if God is awakening you in your heart and your mind right now as you're listening, um, I would encourage you to know that uh, 
in the same way that you have found yourself in a position where you might be struggling, maybe people don't know about it. It's a quiet struggle for me. It was a deeply quiet struggle. But uh, if you've if you've found yourself in a position where you are struggling quietly, for as much as you are the person that got yourself there, God's not deserting you, even though guess what? We are all sinners and all undeserving. That's a crazy thought. Though we are undeserving. Though we are undeserving, God sent his only son, for he so loved the world that he sent his only son for you and I. So none of us were deserving. It's not like somebody else got it and you didn't because they were deserving and you're not deserving, so you're up a creek without a paddle. No, it's like we're all undeserving, and the question is, do you want to turn back to the God who made you? That's it. He's still there because he desires mercy, not sacrifice, Hosea 6.6. Okay? So... um. I just want to encourage you guys, if that's if that's resonating with you, if that's in your heart, if that's resonating with you, um, know that God can get you through. Know that God can not only help you grow in your awakening, uh, but he can also take you from wherever you are today to the place that you want to be, which is honestly, it's not a, a destination physically. It's a place inside. I mentioned that earlier. I hope that that's encouraging. Okay. One of the reasons people don't uh, trust in God. That's what I want to talk about next. And before we do, I'm going to take a quick sip of water and look at a couple of questions that are coming through. If you guys are watching, do me a, do me a quick favor. If you're watching on YouTube, can you guys like, share, share something in the comment if you want to, um, if you have a question, if you want me to speak to something that I haven't talked through, or if you have something that's resonating with you, I would really appreciate it. But also more importantly, it just helps, this helps other people see uh, what's available to them. And we're doing these videos for free and putting it up online so that people can access them. And so if you guys are able to, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, but if you guys are able to like, comment, share um, with somebody who actually, if you think of somebody, I would encourage you just hit the share button and send them the link and say, hey, join this thing because I think it'll be uh, on topic with other things we've talked about. That's the best thing, absolute best thing that you can do. Um, somebody else real quick, Somebody else said uh, they're trying to join the Zoom meeting. There's no Zoom meeting tonight. Uh, we are not. This is our new ministry night. This tonight is our ministry night. So we're doing ministry in a uh, in a different way, talking about prayer and the stages of prayer, and just sharing a little bit from my journey. Katie asked the question. I think just sharing something that was resonating with her. Are we willing to have God search our heart? Oh, a true. Oh, true. And a gut check. It is absolutely a gut check. And honestly, it's something that, um, you know, for as much as I've been living my life more open handedly, it's something that I had to in my personal journey, personal walk with God. I had to decide for myself. I had to say, you know, God, like, are there parts of my life that I'm still hiding? Are there parts of my life that I'm still hiding? I'll give you a quick story, guys. This is a really incredible story. I've been kind of uh, patient to share a few testimony. I've got a lot of testimonies that are just, um, just the goodness of God, guys, just the goodness of God. But I had a really strong, um, I'll call it bondage. I had strong bondage uh, to money. And um, this is definitely going to build somebody's faith. So I would, uh, <laughs> I would listen to this one. I had a really difficult, um, I'll call it just journey 
you know, I could go into the weeds of how that looked, but, uh, but it started early, developed agreements. Um, agreements look like I will never, I will always, um, they can be as strong as what are called inner vows, which are what I just suggested, the, the never and always. Um, they can be as little as, uh, you know, if I, if I go to Wall Street, um, then I will try to make a million dollars in the first four years or something. You know, it's just like these agreements that we make in our head that that drive us. Um, that's why it's so powerful when you're when you're making agreements with your significant other uh, when you're getting married and you say I do. You're making an agreement. Gosh, that is so important. And how many people? Um, you know, for, for us in our lives, how many people have we seen, um, break agreements, you know, just as easily as they make agreements. And I, and I personally have had to go through that process of looking at what is the, what is making an agreement? What is breaking an agreement? Breaking an agreement is an important thing, especially when it's unhealthy. Um, making an agreement is an important thing, uh, especially when it's healthy and, um, and agreements that you make, whether or not they're under the lordship of Jesus is important because we can make agreements when we're not under his lordship. Uh, and those are likely going to be leading us to destruction because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So I had made some agreements in my life that money would never be an issue. I then through a series of events, uh, some things that were helpful, um, you know, just in a practical sense of I was navigating going to college and getting a degree in finance. And so I did my part in that sense, but in other senses, I could not have controlled how I got to wall street in many regards. Um, I did not do very well on my first super day interview. I was not prepped like a lot of other people. Uh, I, really ended up in, in the door at what I believe is the best investment bank in the world by the grace of God. And, um, and I went to wall street, not to make a gazillion dollars. I went to wall street. That's where I started my career. I, I went to wall street to learn how to make money and learn, learn from people who made money and move money. I wanted to learn how they thought about money. And what I didn't know at the time is that, uh, I wasn't considering whether you know, people I would be learning from or the environment that I would be in was under the lordship of God, or, or even, by the way, if I was under the lordship of God. <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I, I would have articulated at the time that I believed in God, but I was not, I had not given God my, my whole life. And yeah, very much in this kind of uh, closed fist stage in my prayer life, and maybe moving to the to the clenched fist stage, stage two, um, as I realized that a job and prestige and status and money wouldn't bring me peace. Um, so I went to learn all those things and I very quickly realized that, uh, that I was not healthy. And, and I remember losing motivation. I remember losing, uh, losing my hair. Um, I was mid twenties. I was very concerned with how I looked. I was, I was, uh, 
getting to a point where out of my own decisions, I'm not blaming anybody or anything. I'm blaming a job, a company, people. I'm saying my own decisions, I was unhealthy and I was losing weight. Um, and I just didn't look well, honestly, for being a, a mid 20 something and who's otherwise, you know, healthy in life. But it was starting to reflect. My inner turmoil was starting to reflect on the outside. So all that's to say, I finally came to the point where I was living a bit more open-handed with something that I'd held on to uh, very tightly for a long time. And that was reputation, future, um, and what other people thought of me. And God gave me peace to leave that job. But uh, but I did not leave the bondage to money that I was in. And so for years and years, I struggled with that. And, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, after I left my job, I had $100,000 in the bank, no responsibilities. And I was in panic about how I was going to make money. And it just shows you that is insane, guys. Like, there's no need to be in panic in that state. Um, but it shows you just how much fear had gripped my life and the kind of bondage money had over me. Um, I, I was in, living in a lie, honestly, because I had learned about money in school and I had um, gone to Wall Street and I was a very, very generous person. So I didn't think that money really had that big of a bondage on me or, or tie to me or on me. But later would learn just through growing wealth and then still being in debt. Fast forward, I ended up losing more than that $100,000 I had saved uh, very quickly and then <clears throat> ended up in debt. I have a lot of stories of generosity of God showing up in my life from people uh, just out of nowhere sending me money. But there's one story in particular I just wanted to share. And it has to do with prayer. So I'll call it not long ago. Um, I just come to my own end with the idea of, of the bondage to money that I was in personally, personally. And it was just so frustrating. I was like, Lord, what am I doing here? I, like, I'm applying your principles. I, I'm so submitted to you. I'm open-handed. I'm literally, I'll listen to anything you tell me to do. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I finally got to the point where I said, okay, God, like I, I need to talk with my wife about this. And so for years, I had kind of told her everything's good, under control, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally it came to the point where I was like, hey, everything's not good. I'm like not good. I don't know why I'm not good, but something's off. And so um, we decided to pray. We decided to fast. And we did it with the intentionality of just asking God to help me specifically, but help us because my wife and I are one to become one under the covenant of marriage. And we just asked, Lord, can you help us get right with this in our lives? So months go by and it was not an immediate answer, but we knew that something was happening. And I say that because my way of thinking was changing. And I was starting to look at things differently, even decisions I was making with money. And that is one example of in the ways in which God hears our prayers and, and we can see his faithfulness in our lives as he can help us. Holy Spirit indwelling in us can help us uh, 
come to truth and come to understanding wisdom. And for me, I was like, Lord, I just, I've had all this bondage broken off in my life, delivered from rage, all these things, but I really need to get wisdom in this one thing. And if you guys are struggling in that in your own life, and God can do it. Like if you don't think he can, he can, he'll help you. He'll help you change your way of thinking, um, speaking, behaving. But then God showed up in another way. And I get a call from a friend who said, um, Hey, I don't know what's happening in your life financially. And, uh, I'm giving you the very summarized version, but God had really put an impression on me that, um, that I was to call you and to, to let you know that if you ever need anything, I'm available. And um, that's not to be putting a kibosh on anything that you've done or, or, or not respecting all the things that I know because you've, you've, you've grown the business ministry that you're doing in coaching. And, I, and so I don't want to disrespect that in any means, but he had no idea what was happening financially and we had debt. And so I was saying to myself, okay, you know, maybe this is the opportunity to share. And, and back to being open-handed, right? I was so open-handed with God. I was like, okay, well, this isn't something that I can't share with somebody else when they're saying, God put an impression on my heart to, to let you know this. So I shared all the details. And the long story short is they decided to take care of all of our personal debt, $48,000 gifted. You want to talk about prayers being answered, okay? Even when you're, uh, quote, undeserving. I mean, this, I could point to a number of decisions that I made, whether they were wise at the time or not. Um, you know, some decisions maybe didn't work out as planned, but they were wise in my own eyes. Some decisions were just not wise at all. But when somebody shows up after you come to God fully open, you say, God, I'm literally, I'm naked before you right now, right? I mean, like, search me anything, whatever it is, I I'm done with it. Whatever I got to do, I got to change. Fine. I got to change this, that, the other. I don't know what it is because I've, you brought me so much freedom in my life and I don't know how to, to get freedom in this area of my life. And, um, and so he starts changing the way that I think he starts changing the way that I'm even having conversations with him, with Holy spirit throughout the day in financial decisions that I'm making. And then fast forward, I'm in this conversation where somebody decides to take care of all of our personal debt, 48 grand, because God put an impression on them. Now, for some of you guys, that, that might be like unbelievable. For some of you guys that might be like, yeah, God can do that. But when you're living in it, it's an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And earlier I was sharing about the four miracles of Dunkirk and that might be hard to relate to in some regard because it's like, yeah, and that was a specific time in the world and specific people and I get it. But like, you know, then there was this mass gathering for prayer and do I need to have the whole nation pray for me? And, you know, now I'm sharing, hey, here's a personal testimony of God's faithfulness. And his faithfulness is not necessarily in the money. His faithfulness was in his kindness and his mercy. And I think that's really important for people to understand is that it's, he's, he's trustworthy. He's so trustworthy and people fear God in maybe the wrong ways. They don't even approach him. They fear God in the ways where they won't even approach him. 
versus fearing God in the right ways where you'll approach him over anything or anyone else because you want and value his perspective so much. But people fear God in maybe the wrong ways because they're afraid of his judgment. And that's real. But if you read the Bible, you'll read about how God brings judgment to a generation who doesn't remember his faithfulness and therefore have turned away from him. So I'm sharing this testimony. I'm sharing these testimonies as an example for you guys to know the stories, the testimonies, the faithfulness of God so that you'll turn to him, so that you'll stay with him, so that you won't leave him because he didn't leave you. He's still the same God, despite whatever experience you've had in any religious organization, despite whatever cultural Christianity BS you might've grown up in. He's still the same God. He's still faithful and true. He's still a just and righteous God who has a heart for grace, mercy, and compassion on you. That is God. And you do not want to be on the side of uh, turning away from him because you resent him because you haven't seen his faithfulness in your life because you've allowed the enemy to distract you, to lead you to other idols, the idol of information, the idol of over-spiritualization, the idol of you name what, the idol of there's no supernatural in religion, uh, so I'm going to go seek out this fortune telling, you know, whatever it is, that's whatever the idol is for you. Like God is still God. He's still true. And I'm sharing these testimonies because you need to know, we need to know, we need to share these so that it is instilled in our heart and that we can then remember them in our minds when we're in that time where we need to pray, where we need to actually have God show up in a meaningful and powerful way. Okay. So I hope that that, <clears throat> excuse me, I hope that that is, in, is, is more than encouraging for you. I'll end on this because I wanted to talk about why people don't trust God. Romans 12, 2, it says God's will is uh, good, acceptable, and, and perfect. Romans 12, 2, good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Uh, translated, it means, the Greek word for perfect means complete or mature, which is uh, careful, thorough, mature. When I think of mature, I think of careful, thorough, uh, seasoned, sensible. I just looked up words for maturity. And one of the reasons people don't come to God is because they don't trust him. One of the reasons they don't trust him is because they don't understand his will. They don't understand that he's good. They don't understand uh, that he actually has things under control and he gives us choice about other things and he's not going to leave us hanging. So give me one second. I need a sip of water. I wanted to give you guys some real foundational understanding of what his will, how his will can be thought of. And when we come to him and pray, a lot of people are disheartened when they pray because they're thinking, well, I can't pray for a miracle because, uh, you know, people die and that's the end of it. So why would I pray for them to be raised back to life? Or I'll be disappointed if I pray for this person to be healed, but they're not healed. And therefore, maybe it says something about me and my relationship with God. Or maybe it says something about the God I believe in. I could go on. But the point is that there's really three wills of God. There's the preferences, the prescribed, and the predetermined. And I got this from what's called revealedtruth.com. actually just had a really good summary, so I just wanted to use it. Uh, preferences, prescribed, and predetermined. Preferences, really short. So we, we really don't do the perfect will of God. We actually are transformed by the renewal of our mind. That's what Romans says, Romans 12. You want to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You, you can't seek to 
to necessarily do the perfect will of God directly. It's like the bridge to getting there, doing the mature, seasoned will of God in our free will uh, or his preferences. The, the secret to getting to God's preferences in our decisions is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are you transformed by the renewal of your mind? That could be a 10-hour discussion, but the short version is you give your, your heart and soul and mind to Jesus by coming to him repenting. You say, Lord, I want you to be uh, my Lord of my life. I repent and turn away from all of the sin in my life. You get baptized in water, baptized in fire, and and then Holy Spirit come fill, fills you up. Holy Spirit comes, fills you up, and you start reading your Bible. And I'm not saying it's a one, two, three step plan, but I'm just telling you, you know, these are realities. Uh, when you start reading your Bible and Holy Spirit's leading you, your mind will be sharpened and renewed. And as you are going through an awakening, you might have a desire to be detached from a lot of things, people, relationships to your past, maybe even a job, maybe even things that you've had ambition for. Uh, they may go away forever. They may go away for a period of time but it's a process of renewing your mind. And if you've um, lived your life feeding your mind junk food, you might have to cut out the junk food for a while to get healthy, right? And you might have to start going to the gym and you might have to start doing different things, different habits, different communities, uh, because uh, if you want what you've always had, then you just do what you've always done. And if you want what you haven't had, then you probably should do what you haven't done. And for a lot of people, the renewal of their mind is going to require them to change what they're feeding their mind with. That's why I say uh, the Bible, having Holy Spirit lead you, the Bible is living Word of God. It's got the life of the Word of God in it. It's not just the Word of God. It's got the life of the Word of God in it. And um, it's vital for you being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that's God's preferred will, his preferences. And um, it's really important to understand that God does have preferences you know, in his will, but that those are fully developed, mature, thorough, thought through preferences. And for us to arrive at decisions that are aligned with his preferences, the will of his preferences, uh, which are perfect, good, pleasing, then we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. The second kind of will is the uh, prescribed will. And that's the idea of thou shalt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not steal, murder, uh, right, these things. And so these are very much like explicit uh, laws, so to speak. And, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. And the second greatest is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so to summarize all the laws into those two things is, uh, is very powerful, but that's the prescribed will of God. He makes it very clear, love God with, with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? There's, it's really not complicated. Uh, it seems very explicit, clear, and simple. Uh, and then there's number three, predetermined or God's plan. In other words, these are the things that you, you can't mess up. And, you know, in, in Jesus in Gethsemane, he was praying and I, and I don't have this, I don't have a teaching up or anything, but I'm just speaking from memory. So if I'm a little bit off, bear with me. But um, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane and uh, and he is praying, and this is before he's crucified. He's praying, and he's saying, Lord, you know, if it's in your will, like take this cup from me. And he's saying, Lord, if you can, if you can, if you can, if this is not in your predetermined will, Lord, take this cup from me. But if it is, like if if 
if if this is in your predetermined plan, if me going to die on the cross is in your predetermined plan, if me going to die, then give me the strength that I need. All right. And I'm just summarizing. Okay. But the point of that is to say that Jesus gave us understanding of these two different ideas of God's will. And I think it's important for us to understand that when we pray, especially when it comes to living open-handedly, when we say to the Lord, uh, God, if this is, this is in your predetermined plan, this person passes. Okay, then give me the acceptance I need. And I stand and agree with your preferences, which are for life and life abundant. Because the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, not you. God, you will bring judgment. Yes, that's true. And the enemy's assignment and mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Excuse me. But your mission and assignment was to bring the kingdom of, kingdom of God, to bring life and life abundant. And so I stand in agreement with that. I stand in agreement with that. And for me to stand in agreement with that is not to go against the predetermined will of God. It's for me to say, God, I'm accepting of your predetermined will if that's what it's got to be. And if it's in your uh, preference, okay? And what I mean by that is, uh, sorry, if it's in your predetermined will that your preference, which is for life, which is for this person to be healed, which is for life abundantly, if that is in your predetermined will for this situation, then I stand in agreement with that, and we take authority in Jesus' name. I think that's really important. We're not going to talk about authority right now, but I think it's very important to understand the differences there. And that's one reason why people don't trust God is because they don't have understanding. And I say, they, I mean, guys, this is my own personal journey, right? So I've, I'm like, you know, in the process of this myself over years. And, and so this is something that I've had to navigate through. And so I hope that this... I hope that this helps you. Yeah, Kayla says that attachment as part of the spiritual renewal phase uh, really resonated with her and helped her feel more at ease with the battle balancing social job with yearning for God and just being. It's so true. You know, and I think people need to understand just in the journey of awakening and people need to understand, you don't need to beat yourself up uh, when you find yourself not desiring the same things that you used to, that your friends do, whatever it might be. I mean, it's not that you say goodbye to people. It's just you say, this is the growth journey I'm on. It's not, you're not looking at other and making judgment calls about them. You're looking at your own life and making decisions. And that's what's really important. And people will make judgment calls about you, but that's not for them to judge. And guess what? Part of the cost of discipleship, i.e. following Jesus, is to lay down your life and to essentially say, I'll be misunderstood, Jesus, like you, because you were. Uh, and guess what? The reward is worth it. The reward is worth it. So I understand people will misunderstand me. People misunderstand me all the time. And it's one of my greatest, um, it was one of my greatest challenges in life. And that's, that's why I try to communicate so clearly is because there was so much misunderstanding or room for error. And if there was misunderstanding, I would receive the consequence of it. I don't even need to go into it. But the point of that is to say that when we are able to let go live open-handed with the things that we think we need, right? Then God can actually come in and give us what we really need. God can come in and give us what we really need. So I'm hopeful that that helps you guys. Remember the, the three stages on the prayer journey from closed fist to half clenched to open-handed, okay? One, two, three. And I'm really hoping that you'll remember the testimonies. Remember the testimonies of the power of prayer. And remember that you can trust God 
in the process and it doesn't have to happen all at once, right? But it can be a journey of you leaning into him, coming to him and saying, God, I want to trust you more. Help me trust you more. Help me come to you. Help me open up to you. Help me bring all the things, search my heart. Help me bring the things that I don't even know I need to bring to you, to you. When you're in prayer, you're going to come into alignment with his will. His will is perfect, pleasing, acceptable, okay? And guess what? You're not going to mess up his predetermined will, his plan, right? And you are desiring to understand his hidden will and his preferences, but those hidden preferences for his will are made available to us through Holy Spirit leading us to truth. So you guys just approaching God, us approaching God saying, God, I, wanna, I want to be aligned with that is going to help you. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is I'm actually just going to, I'm going to pray right now for, um, for not just our nation, but the nations in the world. Um, it's not something I really grew up praying. Um, I think in cultural contexts of Christianity, people, uh, people pray for the nations. It's not really language that I used, but it's something that God will impress upon me at times. He will impress upon me different places, people to pray for. Um, and honestly, sometimes people can't or don't know how to pray for themselves, right? And I'll just maybe even use that example of the of the soldiers that had to leave, the 300,000 troops that had to leave safely and had no other way out other than the English Channel, right? Some of those guys, they probably had no idea how to pray for themselves. They didn't maybe didn't even know the situation fully. And, and so having people pray and intercede and pray for them and stand in place of them, right? That is really the, um, I believe that was the, the other war that was going on, the other battle that was waging. And, uh, and so we have to acknowledge that in the physical or the natural, the things that we see in, in the visible, right? We have to acknowledge that in just as much as this is visible, there's so much happening that's invisible, that's not uh, not seen. And those who have their spiritual eyes open, who have gone through that awakening, can see a little bit more clearly those things that are not seen to people who are walking around just observing through their physical eyes. So um, I believe it's it's your responsibility when you are able to see in the supernatural, the invisible, to... Uh, to pray for those especially who cannot see, who haven't seen, who don't know or are confused or whatever it might be. So, Lord, I just pray right now for all of the men and women who are in harm's way, whether it's in Ukraine uh, and other nations surrounding. Lord, we know that uh, the death is not a part of your design. It's not a part of your design. Your original design, death's not a part of your original design, Lord. But uh, But we also know that uh, that you show us over and over and over again of death to life, death to life, death to life. You show us that pattern and you show us your redemption, even through Jesus, Lord, how he uh, became, he became man in flesh. The light of the world became man in living flesh and then died and came back to life. And Lord, you show us even in Jesus, the power of your redemption and I say, even in Jesus is just one example, but you've multiplied that over and over and over. So I just pray the, the power of your redemption and your healing over men and women right now who are in conflict zones. I pray your peace and wisdom, Lord. I pray your peace and wisdom over men and women 
making leadership decisions in our nation, United States, and in other nations, whether it's Russia and Ukraine or Belarus or these other nations. Lord, I pray for, for wisdom, supernatural wisdom. I pray for reconciliation, Lord. And we stand in agreement for that. And even in the courts of heaven right now, with the enemy coming at us saying he has the right to accuse one person, a group of people for sin that they've committed, etc. Lord, we know by the blood of Jesus, he paid the price. He's sitting on that witness stand saying, I paid the price for any accusation that's being made. And so we demand that any agreement that the enemy has made with any kind of influence over leadership in the nations in conflict, Lord, we loosen that agreement right now because the blood of Jesus has paid for it, Lord. And you know it. You know it as the judge. You know that the blood of Jesus has paid for it. So we loosen that agreement and we stand in agreement with your perfect, pleasing, acceptable will, Lord, that there should be peace on earth. We, we stand in agreement with that. We understand that there's a shaking happening. We understand that your judgment is real. We also understand that Jesus is real and that Jesus paid the price for any sin or consequence, Lord. And so we turn back to you and I declare that anybody right now who's listening, even just if they're not present, Lord, I declare anybody right now who's in the spirit listening, if they're being pulled back to you, Lord, right now, I don't care what kind of religion they came from, upbringing, background. Lord, I pray for a supernatural encounter, Holy Spirit encounter. Lord, I pray for the man in white to show up in dreams. I pray for a supernatural encounter, even in battle, in conflict zone territory. I pray for supernatural encounters in office room settings, in backroom settings, in phone call settings. Lord, I pray for supernatural encounter, just divine moments of wisdom divine moments of wisdom. And in the same way that you brought miracles at Dunkirk, Lord, I pray that there would be a miracle right now for those people who are in harm's way, that there would be a miracle ceasefire right now in Jesus' name, a miracle ceasefire, a complete 180 from the direction that we've been going right now as a nation, as worlds, as, as a world and as nations, Lord, a complete 180. We stand in agreement with that. And for anybody who's listening who wants to grow in their prayer journey, Lord, for anybody who's listening who is in that place where they're they're going from that close-fisted and they're trying to navigate, like, how do I let go? How do I let go? How do I let go? Lord, I pray for them. Help them let go, Lord. Send Holy Spirit to help them, Lord. Help them let go. You know the desires of our heart. You know that our you know that our heart, Lord, longs for you. There's a reason that we seek space. There's a reason we seek perfection. There's a reason we seek the supernatural, Lord. It's because what we have is not enough. It's because you put inside us eternity. Eternity is on every man and woman's heart. You put that inside of us. And so I pray right now that you just open up a new level of understanding of what an eternal life here on earth looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for being here. I appreciate it. And please go ahead and subscribe, share. Um, would really appreciate if you think of somebody that, uh, that ought to have been here, ought to be here. If you share it with them directly, you can send them the link. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you.